Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottens. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you joining us for this year-end Ag Emerge podcast. We focus this year on bringing you speakers that are not only ag thought leaders, but implementation leaders. They're talking the talk, but also walking the walk. We're finishing out our podcast year by looking back on the opportunities our guests have challenged us to explore in our operations and move the needle forward on building soil health and leaving a legacy. Without a doubt, this year has come with its own set of challenges. We've learned a lot from the speakers we've had on both the Ag Emerge stage and on the podcast. Today, we're bringing you some clips from a past year's podcast, along with some of our favorite event moments, including speakers Gabe Brown, Holly Green, Dr. Dwayne Beck, and Dr. Zach Bush. And we're excited to share with you a link to our Aggie Merge YouTube channel where you can listen to both our keynote and headline speakers along with all of the speakers' addresses from the past two years at Aggie Merge. You can experience the excitement and thought-provoking presentations as our speakers walk us through how they made their paradigm shift and started seeing things differently. We hope this year-end podcast will encourage you to think, plan, and implement differently. So let's jump right in with Gabe Brown in an excerpt from the Aggie Merge stage. 1998 came along, and that's an actual photo I took on our ranch, and you can guess what that led to. We lost 80% of our crop to hail, and by then, things were really starting to get pretty tough, you know? When you lose four crops in a row, uh, you really learn how to do without. And I tell people that was really, really difficult to live through, but it was absolutely, without a doubt, the best thing that could have happened to us. For one thing, all my neighbors were sitting there, they were just licking their chops. Because the ironic thing was, four years of natural disaster, I was the only operation in the area that got hit all four years. One other person lost three crops, several lost two crops, but we were the only ones that last all four. So I had neighbors just drooling, thinking they were going to be able to buy my land. Well, I was never, ever going to give up. Now, that fourth year, that hail storm, um, storm came in late June. So that gave me some time. Now realize where I'm at, our last killing frost in the spring is mid-May. First one in the fall is about the 10th of September. So those 120 approximately days, that's our growing season. That's not very long. But since that hailstorm came in June, it gave me an opportunity. I had to grow feed for the livestock. We planted cowpeas and sedan grass. And at that time, I had no idea what a cover crop was. I was simply trying to keep the banker at bay, feed the livestock, and pay the bills. And I literally did not have the money to buy the twine if I was to cut that forage for hay, and then I didn't have the money to buy twine to bale it. 
So what I simply did was we turned the cattle out on it, late fall, early winter. That was my first foray, so to speak, into winter grazing of livestock. Now think of what happened. Four years, four natural disasters, but three of those were hailstorms. And so I had the ability to grow a crop, but then Mother Nature put that crop back down on the soil. Well, what happened? We were growing a tremendous amount of root biomass. We noticed that our organic matter levels were starting to move up. I really, at that time, came to the realization that I had come to accept a degraded resource. You know, organic matter levels, when we bought that operation in 1991, on the cropland were 1.7 to 1.9 percent, and that was common in the area. Well, I was starting to see a move up over 2 percent. Well, it was nature that was, through its efficiencies, leading to an increase in organic matter. And I really realized that it was my stewardship or management that had caused the degradation of that. I had come to accept that degraded resource. And as I travel around the country today consulting on different farms and ranches, the thing most often I hear is producers think, well, you don't understand, this is what I got. And that's the way I was back 25 plus years ago. I thought that those soils I had were what I had and I couldn't change them. I really began to realize that what I was seeing was just a lot of symptoms of a degraded resource. And I just lifted some of them here. You know, they, they may or may not apply to you. But lack of moisture, poor fertility, compaction, weeds, these are all just symptoms of a greater problem. I really came to the conclusion back then that I was disconnected from the land. I didn't understand what my soils, what my ecosystem, my farm, was trying to tell me. So even though I had taken a lot of classes in college, I wasn't being taught these natural principles. I really realized that I needed to educate myself. It was at this time that I attended a conference in Bismarck, and there was an old rancher from northern Alberta there. And he told me something that day that stuck with me ever since. He said, if you want to make small changes, change the way you do things. In other words, buy a different piece of equipment, apply a different nutrient package, change to a different crop variety. But if you want to make major changes, you need to change the way you see things. For whatever reason, that resonated with me. And there's not a day goes by that I don't think about this. So one of the things I do when I travel around consulting on operations, I give the, the, the owner of that piece of property the ability to look at things differently, see things differently. And I was so excited when Monty uh, gave me an invitation to speak here because when Monty and, and Robin came and visited my operation, I could tell Monty was different there. How to, how's that? Different. For one thing, realize I get several thousand visitors a year to our ranch. So it's kind of an everyday occurrence during the summer. But there's those individuals who stand out, and they stand out for their ability to see things differently. And Monty shared with you up front before he introduced me that he had a paradigm shift that day. And Rod talked about this last night, this paradigm shift we had in ag. So... What I'm going to do today is walk you through my story, the paradigm shift 
that I had. I really believe the greatest roadblock in solving a problem is the human mind. You know, we're stuck. I, how many operations do I go to and, oh, we can't do that here. Well, why not? Oh, we can't do that here. Why not? Because in our mind, wasn't it Henry Ford who said whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're correct, right? Is your brain churning yet? Are you thinking differently? Well, next up, we really went out of the box as we brought in Holly Green as our keynote speaker to really get us thinking differently. Monty, what takeaways did you hear from growers? What was their thought process as they heard these speakers? It's been great to visit with guys, um, visit with a lot of the attendees that were there, you know, both during the conference, but then after the conference, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks after. And it's interesting to see, it always makes you feel good when something sticks. Yes. So um, I had some really good feedback from different people. You know, there, there's people who are on their soil health journey in, in various stages. You know, people who have been working with us for 15, 17 years. Other people who this is the first time they've been to any event of ours haven't worked with us at all. So, I mean, it's a, a large range of experience, and it's fun to talk to, to different people and just throwing out ideas that, hey, I, I, had this, I had this thought, you know, do you think this could work? Or what about this? Or have we tried this? And it just has created a real opportunity in order to uh, see how minds have been opened. And, and our goal was to throw great ideas and, and, and great technologies in front of farmers and say, this is how we think these could all work together for your bottom line, for soil health and those kind of things. But really, this is a collaborative effort. What do you see out of this? How do you see this applying to your farm? And that magic is happening. Mm -hmm. So, And it's exciting to see the people working together. And really, I think exploration was a, a key this, this year, that people were really, as you said, thinking seriously about the things that they could do. And, mm -hmm. you know, coming from that training background, I know that the best training that you take advantage of is the one where you, after you leave the training, you implement or talk about or report out what you learned and what you're going to do about it. Mm -hmm. Because then that makes it stick. And that, that kind of leads right into our keynote speaker, Holly mm -hmm. Green. You know, she focuses on how our brains work. She's not in the ag space. But what she talks about is so applicable to the things that we have going on in agriculture as we start to rethink how we're doing. We're not starting to. We are rethinking how we're doing things. She, uh, she really opened our minds. The whole purpose of why I wanted her to speak to us first was so that we could know how to respond to new information that we're getting. And that was the main thing was, I, I, I thought was, we have her to really help people hear everybody else. Well, the reality is, uh, she did such a good job. Uh, yes. I have gotten as many feedback comments about Holly as anybody else. They just thoroughly enjoyed what she had to say. I couldn't agree more. And here's a little of thinking differently from Holly Green. The likelihood of you learning while you're sitting in that seat tonight is very low. It is only when we do something different that we create the new neural pathways in our brain. Okay, so we love happy button seat. That's what we call it when you're happy. Okay, during the presentation, but most importantly, it is behavioral change that will make a difference. Make sense? All right, so <clears throat> let's take a little journey. Dr. Seuss 
happens to be one of my very, very favorite authors in the world. <clears throat> he talks about the wondrous and amazing brain. He, the imagination, the imagineering that he was able to do, whole new languages, both for children and adults, teaching us to ponder a few new thunks. So let's play around a little bit with that. As creatures, we naturally share different views, but we want to be accurate and prove that we're true. We all want to be precise and concise and use big jumbo words that make us look nice. But how can we prove that we're truer than true when the meaning for me might be different for you? I get in a slump when the things that I thunk makes your nose run and your feet smell like skunk. <coughs> I don't understand why hammers don't ham. Why one goose is two geese, but two moose ain't two meese. What's up with that? Right? Why does your traffic turn into jam? Your fingers don't thing, but writers can write. I'm confused, can't you see? Preachers can't prot, but teachers do taught. Our sweetbreads aren't sweet, and instead they're full of meat. You ship on a truck instead of the sea. Our communication is strange, in no way simple, you see. Words and meaning for you might be different for me. But we're so sure we're right. We continue along, assuming you know, but me thinking, huh, you're wrong. I love Dr. Seuss as an author. Absolutely love him. And there are so many wonderful books that he wrote. One of my favorite, Oh, the Thinks You Can Think. <coughs> How many of you have read it? It is a most astounding gift for children and grandchildren, by the way. An absolutely joyful journey into using this three pounds that we carry around with us everywhere we go, or almost. Yeah? And he has so many wonderful imaginings and poems and things that if you really look at them prompt you to consider possibilities, options, and alternatives. So we have the ability to have unfettered thinking, to imagine possibilities, to explore whole new frontiers. Sounds like I'm doing a whole Star Trek entry, right? And yet, and yet most days we really don't. This brain that we carry around with us is astounding. It helps us be capable of so many things. We can learn languages, solve complex problems, recognize faces, and yet many, many days, see he said he agreed, many, many days it's not serving us particularly well. We're making assumptions. We have biases. We have blind spots. We get stuck in our ways of working. We thunk the same thunks over and over again because that's the way we're constructed to work as animals or creatures. It probably served us incredibly well in caveman days. We walked outside our cave. There was a saber-toothed tiger. We didn't have to pause and ponder, do I pet the kitty? We knew, oh my goodness, it had killed 14 of my family members last week. Perhaps I should run or get a really big stick. 
right? When the world was relatively stable and not changing at the pace of today, it served us well to do the same things over and over again. Probably ensured our survival. When was the last time the world changed for you? Yesterday? Last week? How many of you are doing things the same way you were doing them 10 years ago? Anybody? Five years? A year? Is there anybody in here that's holding on to the notion that if I just get through next week, it'll slow down? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we have to believe that for just a minute just to get through the day, right? It's astounding. It's astounding the pace we're operating at. And we are not creatures constructed to do that well. And yet our brain has not evolved significantly, hasn't changed much as best as we can tell in at least the last 100 years. So these blind spots, these biases, this outdated thinking, we're sure it's right. I mean, after all, we do have a piece of data. You know, one time I lived down the street from the woman twice removed from my third cousin. It happened to her. It was on the, the internet. You, you saw it on the WWW, right? Yeah. It's an astounding thing, a really interesting thing. So we tend to do the same things over and over again and expect different results. Anybody? Now, not you. You're here. You're smart people. <laughs> Have any of you heard of anyone that's done that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is the definition of insanity, and yet, it is how we're wired. Our brain loves traveling those same pathways. The circuitry is set. The neural pathways are created. And the more we do the same thing over and over again, the thicker that wiring gets in our brain. And so I want you to think about for just a moment. Think about an elite athlete, for instance. Let's just imagine hmm, Peyton Manning. <laughs> sure ain't Tom Brady, right? OK. so. You're my only fellow Patriot hater in the room, apparently. Oh, come on. How many of you were thrilled they're knocked out? Raise your hands. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, so do you think he has to think about exactly, I step back on my heel, on my right foot, I move my arm this way, I do this to release. Do you think he thinks through every one of those steps when he throws a ball? No, of course not. How many times do you think he's thrown a football? Millions, right? Our brain gets used to that and does particularly well because practice is what creates those pathways. So in many, many ways, it serves us well. When you drive a car, you ride a bicycle, you walk across a stage, you're not thinking about every single aspect of that, right? You've done it before. You know that it works. You presume and assume certain things will happen, yes? I assume this stage is not going to open up and swallow me, right? The risers aren't going to fall. And I knew I shouldn't have said that because probably now they are. So I'm going to move over here. <laughs> so it's a really, really interesting thing. So I've come up with some acronyms about the brain to help you remember some of the key ways that we operate or that we work. And I did thunk these up myself. Okay, so you might not have heard of them before, but I do have them in your materials for you. So let's look at a few of these tendencies we have. SWWWTS. We see what we want to see. You see, you filter information. Your eyes are set up to filter what you screen in and what you screen out. 
And as Monty said earlier, you're only screening in approximately 10% of the data available to you at any given waking moment. <laughs> but you think you see accurately. Bless your little hearts. <laughs> Somebody speaks U.S. Southern in here, right? So close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes for a moment. And with your eyes closed quietly inside your own head, I want you to define and describe for me all of the walls of this room. You've been in this room now for an hour or two. Define and describe all the walls, just quietly to yourself. <coughs> and now I want you to open your eyes. How well did you do? Did everybody get these paintings that are all on the wall? Did you get those? Can you tell me how many exit signs there are in the room? Yeah? Where the switches are? The colors of the up lights? Everybody got all that, right? No, of course you didn't. And yet you've been in this room for several hours. The data was available to you, correct? But what most of you probably saw when you came in was the primo table you wanted to get, right? Or the food on the side. Probably maybe the dessert table first. Or maybe even the bar, right? depending on your preferences. So it's an amazing thing what we screen out and what we screen in. And mostly that is dictated by what you want to see. It is dictated by the fact that you are better at proving yourself right. So you screen in data that colludes with that, that proves you right in fact. I told you she was out to get me. You saw in the meeting she frowned at me, right? You, you know how he is, right? I'm not making this up. You were there, yeah? I have a piece of data. And that's what I screen in and screen out on, what I already believe to be so. I'm better at proving myself right than any other single thing I do as an adult human. Don't you think? Isn't it true? It's obvious we should. Shouldn't we? Have any of you ever used those phrases? Oh, come on. Be honest. Who's used those phrases? Every one of you. Raise your hands right now. We've been taping you all secretly. <laughs> of course we use those phrases. And when you use that to start a sentence, don't you think it's true? What's the correct answer? Of course it is. Of course, oh great boss of mine, most brilliant person in the universe. <laughs> is that a real question when you start a sentence with, isn't it obvious that we should? Those are pretend questions. And we're really, really good at pretend questions. In fact, now that you know this, you will crack up in the next meeting you ever go into. Right? You'll be like, oh my god, he's proven himself right. He's proven himself right. She's proven herself right. Listen to that. Because we're incredible at it. It's how we're constructed to work as animals. Again, probably served us really, really well throughout history. The problem is everything just changed again. Everything changes constantly. Just because you did it that way for the last 10 years, you think that's going to work for the next 10? 
I'm guessing you can see why Holly had us thinking differently. Don't you think, Monty? It's amazing. Uh, she, she really helped people uh, think differently. And uh, I constantly have people who are there talking to me all the time about thunking. So yes. you know that One at least the word, the word has stuck at least. So, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's, our, our mind wants to think the same thoughts it's always thought because that's easy. It's easy street. And being aware of those things and being, uh, being aware of what we do when we interpret new information is critical. Mm-hmm. So that was her main message, and a lot of people are putting that, putting that together. So We're going to take a short break to tell you about our Aggie Merge Conference for 2021. We invite you to come explore the possibilities of scaling up regenerative agriculture during Ag Merge 2021. Given the many changes 2020 has thrown our way, we've made some conference changes as well. Introducing Ag Merge 2021, an exclusive on-demand experience accessible from the comfort of your home, office, or tractor cab at your own pace. Together we'll explore soil health and regenerative agriculture and how you can take concepts to practice in your operation. What remains the same as previous Ag Emerge events is our passion for sharing unique perspectives from thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and forward-thinking growers like you. Let's tackle some of the most challenging problems in agriculture with shared experiences, new ideas, and big-picture discussions. Early bird registration is open through December 31st. Register now at agemerge.com to get early bird pricing and premier access beginning January 25th, 2021. We hope you'll consider this unique opportunity to hear all the great speakers at Aggie Merge this year, especially since you can join from anywhere, virtually. We've also had Dr. Dwayne Beck from Dakota Lakes Research Farm on the Aggie Merge stage. And Monty, you had a couple of things you really wanted Dr. Beck to speak on, didn't you? He opened us up. And I think one of the best compliments came from Dwayne himself. But no, Dwayne's definitely a big picture thinker, and um, you wanted me to point out a little bit some of his recommended reading list. But uh, Plowman's Folly by Faulkner, that, that's definitely uh, a long time if you've been in the no-till uh, space and you, you need to read that. Um, very, very key. Conquest of the Land by Loudermilk, uh, The Worst Hard Time by Egan, and Dirt by Dr. David Montgomery. And Dr. Montgomery, when we, when we started our company and we had customer events, he was actually our very first speaker at our very first conference. Um, I think that was five or six years ago now. Yes. And um, really set the stage for, for what's going on. And the funny part was is we were the first ag group that he had spoken to. Interesting. And, and now he's the cool kid for to have at all the ag groups. And yes. uh, it's kind of funny. So that's one of the things we hope to do with Aggie Merge is get people who have great ideas that are maybe outside of the ag space get recognized and, and get out there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway. that, when I uh, first came to uh, Ag Solutions, that was the first book you had me read. Um, and I read I it. I mean, I make I, people read books. <laughs> well, not only did I read it, but I got it on Audible too because I had to listen to it again as well because there's a lot of content in there. And that speaks back to what Dwayne was talking about. You know, you asked Dwayne to talk about what the moonshot was. Where, where are we going? And he said, you know, that's not really... The question first that we need to ask is, where have we been? How do we get here? Mm-hmm. And uh, that dirt book speaks to that directly. Sure. So, well, let's take a listen, Monty, to your introduction and a bit of Dwayne on the stage. Good morning, everyone. It's a real honor for me to be able to introduce our headline speaker, uh, Dr. Dwayne Beck. 
Robin and I had a chance to go up to his uh, research farm, Dakota Lakes Research Farm, in August of uh, three years ago. In fact, it was for her birthday. I told her I was taking her to South Dakota, and she thought she was all excited. We're going to the Black Hills, things like that. She, she just didn't know we got to go to somewhere better, right? A research farm. So anyway, uh, really excited that Dwayne can be here. One of the things that really lacks in agriculture research is long-term system-based research. Because when you're looking at systems, how many jugs of stuff does that sell? Not much, does it? And unfortunately, our research at universities has gone from real discovery research to proving products right on short-term research. So Duane is part of a research farm that is owned by farmers, doing research for farmers in cooperation with South Dakota State University. So it's a really neat public partner research um, farm that has developed very good long-term information that we can all glean great things from. Plus, Duane is, will certainly challenge your thinking. I think if we all open our minds, okay, and do some new thunking, uh, if we really look at what's going on in ag today, the definition sustainable is, is we can keep doing the same thing over and over and over again in infinity, okay? And I think we've really hijacked that word. Sustainable, we say it for, makes us feel good, but really can we do what we're doing today for a thousand years, okay? So Dwayne's going to challenge our thinking a little bit in those regards and, and help us, um, encourage us to, to do things and look at things in a different way. So without further ado, I'd sure like to welcome Dr. Dwayne Beck to the stage to challenge our thinking. Dwayne. Well, good morning. After, after the speaker last night, I'm not sure that I can keep up to that, but we'll see. I have no brains to give out, so I got to keep all the ones I have. Uh, I guess I'll just get starting with, with you know, Monty asked me to, to look forward in agriculture, and I'm not sure I'm qualified to do that. Uh, a lot of you might be better at that than, than we are. I think what we do at Dakota Lakes is very unique, and I think it does, uh, should be a model for the future. So, but we're going to address this today. Where are we going? Well, that's really the wrong question. The right <coughs> question is, uh, where are we? I mean, you can't figure out where you're going to go unless you take a look at where we're really at today. And I think a lot of us are just kind of doing things and trying to keep up with the changes and keep up with what's going on, but we don't really know where we're at. So let's take a, take a look around. We have fires in California. We have fires in Brazil. We have fires in Australia. We have floods in California. We have floods in the Corn Belt. We have floods in Australia. We have an ecosystem actually that's just really not functioning well. And we've gone through this before, right? Our aquifers are overappropriated, the lakes and rivers and oceans are degraded. I mean, in California, the, the whole water situation is, is an issue. And how are you gonna address that long-term, start looking long-term things? And we, we kind of went through a lot of this in the South Dakota as well and, and had to kind of come up with some answers. So our answers aren't your answers, but that's where we're at. 
So Monty, Dwayne really got us thinking about where we'd been so we could look at where we needed to go. And then we switched gears a bit. Of course, we got the, the, the kind of the, the capstone on all this, the bringing what, everything that we're doing today on our farm. How does that affect us on our human health, mm-hmm. right? And yes. Zach Bush knocked it out of the park. We got probably the most, next to Holly, the most uh, discussion around Zach Bush's presentations. Yes. So what have you what have you heard and seen and, and on people, Kim? What's exciting about just sort of the general consensus of it, you know, a lot of times I think folks are hesitant to talk a lot about that human health, soil health connection because they're like, you know, what these things that we're doing, are they affecting our health? But what I found is that people want to know. The attendees, the farmers there, they want to know and understand because they're eating and living as well, and they're facing these things as well. And uh, Zach is not a, you're doing this wrong uh, kind of thing. He's like, how can we discover what we need to do, how we need to do it? And he's excited about working with farmers to solve those problems. Right. And and he's invested the time, too. He's not just somebody out there saying, this is wrong and this is wrong. You know, that's not his take at all. He's on farms, understanding what they're experiencing, why things are happening the way that they are, and then finding solutions. And I think yeah. that was refreshing to people, and so they were eager to hear that message. Here's a bit from Dr. Zach Bush. But to give you a, a perception of just how complex this whole system is getting, just a quick run through. We are one species with 20,000 genes. The mitochondria live inside our cells are these little bacteria-like guys that have a viral genome. And they've got 37 genes, a very simple genome. But interestingly, they have 14 quadrillion mitochondria within our human body, which means that we're actually genetically way outnumbered by mitochondrial DNA than we are by human DNA when we walk around. Interestingly, bacteria with their 40,000 species in a human body is coming out to 1.4 quadrillion cells, you know, some uh, 10x that of, of the, the human cells, and have 2 million genes compared to our mere 20,000 genes. And so the genome of the microbes of the soil or our gut or our skin far outweighs the genetic capacity or genetic work of the human body. But it gets even more ridiculous. The two million genes of the bacteria are pale in comparison to those of the parasites. There are 300,000 species of parasites in soil and gut uh, microbial populations. They carry two billion genes. There's five million species of fungi in that microbial ecosystem. And that five million species of fungi have over 125 trillion genes. You have 20,000 genes. You have 20,000 genes, a little less than, than a flea, a little bit more than a fruit fly. You are really invisible genetically when you look at the genomic information on the planet. You are a consequence. You are being shaped by the microRNA and the genetic information of that level of microbial and genomic diversity. Then we get into the viruses, and we don't even have a clue. We don't know how many species are there. We don't know how many genes there because there's just too many viruses for us to even start to computate their genome. What we roughly know right now is that very conservatively, and this number could be actually 10 more zeros on the end of it, but right now we're going with 10 to the 31 viruses on Earth. That's a one with 31 zeros after it, viruses on Earth. 
we're starting to come to the terms that in your body right now, there's 100 different variants of retroviruses in your bloodstream right now in a healthy state. You're living with 100 other retroviruses. Retroviruses became discovered and, and popularized by HIV. You're living symbiotically with 100 different versions of HIV in your bloodstream right now, and it's helping you live. We are not in a warlike state to the microbiome. We are trying to wrap our heads around this as physicians, as we've been trained for 150 years that we were fighting the microbiome to only find out that there is so much microbiome that there is no way it's against us. The microbiome is for us. We would not have life without it. And so we are that incredible microbial diversity and microbial life. And it turns out that the brain is being shaped by that. Your gut interacts directly with the brain. Now we understand that the, the neurons that feed along the gut lining are actually sticking it, their nose out into the gut milieu, speaking directly to the bacteria. The bacteria are just like the neurons in the brain, capable of exuding some information out of their surface in exactly the same mechanism that one nerve speaks to another nerve through these little vacuole expressions. And in that, we find out that they prevent and, and uh, provide for, a they prevent depression and provide for a healthy brain function. One course of antibiotics for a human being now is understood to increase the risk of major depression by 23%. Two courses of antibiotics in a year, 56% increase in major depression. One course of antibiotics, 17% increase in anxiety, 44% if you've got two courses of antibiotics. So it's extraordinarily fast that we shift brain function when we wipe out the microbial workforce down here. When you grow organic and regenerative and you start to really diversify the microbiome within the soil, you're creating intelligence. You're creating real neurologic events in the plants themselves, and that's then mimicked in our gut and between our bacteria and our brains. There is something called quorum sensing, a hyperintelligence of fungi. When you get to a certain level of bacteria or fungi, they can think as a greater organism. They can make decisions on resource management at macro levels over hundreds of acres of, of size. They're making decisions in resource management. And so there's this hyperintelligence that the microbes are responsible for making, and that's been our expertise in our laboratories, is to find out that the brain is simply the central processing unit for the microbiome. The microbiome is the source of information. The microbiome is the source of communication. And our brain is just the gray matter CPU chip that's filtering all of this massive information coming in from that extraordinary microbial environment. And I really look forward to getting to know your stories and what brought you here. But I want to give hats off from the entire physician community on, on their behalf. A deep thank you to each of you for pushing the paradigm forward in understanding soil health and its impact on plant health and an ultimately impact on our patients. We can't heal them without you, so I thank you for being here. Well, Dr. Zach does a great job of connecting the importance of soil health to human health. And Monty, that is really an important area that you like us to cover in Ag Emerge. So I try to, you know, take a, a good survey of everything that's going on in ag with trends and those kind of things. And, and typically, conventional agriculture is pretty beat up these days. Anybody that has a, a social media account has an opinion and they want to share it. So sure. what I really appreciate about Zach is his approach when he was talking to us as farmers of here's the problem, you know, with birth, uh, you know, fertility rates and cancers and autism and all these you know, chronic conditions, mm -hmm. you know, and here's what's happened. And here's some of the research that links 
you know, various things with, you know, GMO and glyphosate and, you know, neonics and all these kind of things that are going on out there. Here's solid information that's happening, you know, and could there be a correlation here? And the reality is, is that farmers want to do the right thing. Absolutely. Uh, Farmers always want to do the right thing. And I think when they're presented with information that shows there is unintended consequences of the things that they're doing, they are prompted to make a change. The nice part about Zach was is he uh, just really got to us on our level and pointed out those things that we need to do. And the other thing he pretty clearly said is organic's not the answer. You know, today, organic has gotten to the point where organic is simply different inputs for a conventional farming system. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we're still using, he's saying, instead of organic, look at the regenerative um, style of farming where we have less dependence on inputs, less dependence on tillage, Mm -hmm. you know, more dependence on modern energy, cover crops and and livestock and those kind of things. So uh, just, just farming like we did you know, 20, 30 years ago, it don't have to be farming like 100 to 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was still modern age of farming then, right? Right, right. So it's just a lot of the stuff that we've done recently has caused some issues, and that's what he encouraged us to do. And I think it really opens up your mind to, to thinking differently that, you know, what I'm doing has profound effects on people. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not just raising some corn to go to the ethanol plant or some almonds to ship to China, it's right. we're affecting people's lives. Yes. And so I, I, I really, really appreciated that. Well, that's a wrap for this year. We hope you'll go and listen to all the speakers in full on our YouTube channel and then head on over to the Aggie Merge website to register for this year's virtual event. It's a great time to start your journey, refine your path, and implement change in your operation. We hope you've had a great end to your year and you have a wonderful new year. 